Our first reading today is from chapter 28 of Genesis, verses 10 to 19. That can be found on page 24 of the Old Testament portion of your pew Bible. Listen now for the word of God. <clears throat> Jacob left Beersheba and went towards Haran. He came to a certain place and stayed there for the night because the sun had set. Taking one of the stones of the place, he put it under his head and lay down in that place. And he dreamed that there was a ladder set upon the earth, the top of it reaching to the heaven. And angels of God were ascending and descending on it. And the Lord stood beside him and said, I am the Lord, the God of Abraham, your father, the God of Isaac. The land on which you lie I will give to you and your offspring. And your offspring shall be like the dust of the earth. And you shall spread abroad to the west and to the east and to the north and to the south. And all the families of the earth shall be blessed in you and in your offspring. Know that I am with you and I will keep you wherever you go. And I will bring you back to this land. For I will not leave you until you have done what I have promised you. And Jacob woke from his sleep and said, Surely the Lord is in this place. And I did not know it. And he was afraid. And he said, how awesome is this place. This is none other than the house of God. And this is the gate of heaven. So Jacob rose early in the morning. And he took the stone that he'd put under his head. And he set it up for a pillar. And he poured oil on it. And he called that place Bethel. And a reading from Paul's letter to the church in Rome. So then, brothers and sisters, we are obligated not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God. For you did not receive a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you received a spirit of adoption. When we cry, Abba, Father, it is that very Spirit bearing witness with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ, if we, in fact, suffer with him so that we may also be glorified with him. Well, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. In the words of my mouth, meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. So if you were here last week, uh, you heard how Chris Holmes explored the sibling rivalry between Esau and Jacob, one that began before they were even born, but how it was exacerbated when Esau handed over his birthright for a bowl of stew. Well, I'm here to tell you this morning, it got worse. Uh, I'm using the lectionary as Chris was, and there's a curious thing here. The lectionary jumps over the next piece of the story and goes to this uh, Jacob's Ladder text. Um, but if you've been in Sunday school, you know the next thing that happened. Jacob connived to steal his father's blessing as well. Um, Isaac was older at this point. He was going blind. Uh, and so his son and his wife uh, connived with, uh, to put goat fur on his hands and on the nape of his neck so that when his father reached out, he thought it was his hairy older son and not the smooth-faced younger one. Um, they put on uh, his cloak, and he took the blessing. The ruse worked. Jacob knelt before his father, and Isaac prayed that he would become a great nation. 
Well, Esau came in out of the fields and, of course, learned what had happened and tried to get his father to bless him, but he found it was to no avail. And he was so irate that he then threatened to kill his own brother. Well, Rebecca heard this, and immediately she called to Jacob, and she said, go visit my brother, my people, in Paddan Aram, which is in eastern Turkey. Uh, Isaac agrees to this plan. He blessed Jacob again, sent him on his way, and then warned him, don't marry a Canaanite while you're out there. And Jacob left his family and the land that they were promised in Beersheba, which is in southern Israel, and took a long walk up to what's now modern-day Turkey. And it was during this journey through a perilous country that he had this dream. I will share with you, there's a rabbinic tradition that says that the spot where Jacob slept and encountered God was on the Temple Mount, uh, also known as Mount Moriah. It's the hill that's now covered with the Dome of the Rock Mosque, but was the former site of Solomon's Temple. Thematically and theologically, that makes sense, but this particular spot has been revered as a thin spot between God and humans. But it, it really doesn't work because we know from Genesis 14 that uh, Jerusalem was already ruled by King Melchizedek at the time of Abram. And so uh, it's a nice thought, but no. But there are places that have been claimed to be Bethel. Um, you know, I think it's one of those things that Jacob would not have laid his head down in the middle of a city and not mentioned it. But what he did was he was running alone. He was running away from the ire of his brother, whose blessing he just stolen. He was overcome with exhaustion, so much so that even a rock sufficed as his pillow. But wherever it was, it left this lasting impression on him, and so he named it Bethel, which means house of God. I will say this. I, I, I love geography, and I love knowing where things took place. There is a tell Bethel in the West Bank. Um, it was at excavated and identified as the historical Bethel by Edward Robinson in 1838. He was an American biblical scholar. His reasoning was that it was next to an Arabic uh, named town called Beaton, which means house, but not house of God. So it was close enough for him, but not most of his contemporaries. But once a tell gets named, names are sticky, and so it became Bethel. And there are actually two modern towns. They are uh, Israeli settlements in the West Bank that were put down in the 70s, uh, Bethel A and Bethel B. They're close, but they're probably not where Jacob was. And the reason they're placed where they are is to be near an Israeli army outpost for protection. But even still, these modern Jewish settlers are trying to connect their sense of place, uh, not by actually knowing where the exact place of Bethel was, but by knowing that it connects them to these promises of the land that they've been promised to God. Um, unfortunately, we'll probably never know where this place really was. But, um, and as much as I would like to find some closure on that, um, the real importance of the story is the interpretation of the dream. It really doesn't matter where a dream takes place, does it? But this is a compelling image. Angels moving up and down a ladder. Some translations use staircase. The Hebrew word uh, is sulam, which is derived from the root word salal, and it's a verb meaning to lift something. So maybe uh, instead of a ladder, it was more like an escalator or an elevator. Uh, we don't know. Uh, whatever it looked like, the rabbis have been arguing about what this story means ever since Moses took the oral tradition and wrote it down. 
What does the dream that Jacob had mean? What are these angels traversing up and down this staircase or ladder? Interestingly, we have some of their conjectures. When the Jewish people returned to their homeland after Cyrus uh, the Great, the Persian, sent the people back, uh, it ended that time known as the Babylonian exile. And so bits of Torah that they'd been secreting away, some of it they found in the walls of the temple, um, were brought back out into public. In fact, there's a, a time in the book of Nehemiah, chapter 8, it tells us how Ezra stood on the Temple Mount and read the Torah to the people all day long. And the people were so overwhelmed and overjoyed to hear the word of God that they wept in the streets. But they didn't just have their Bibles read to them. They also had it interpreted. And so shortly after the temple was rebuilt, generations of rabbi began, rabbis began writing about the deeper meaning of the stories that are found in the Torah, sort of peeling back the layers of the onion, if you will. And I guess today we would call these Bible commentaries, but over time, these writings took on a certain sacredness. I mean, not rising to the level of Scripture, certainly, but these ancient writings had a level of respect, not unlike we modern Presbyterians have for our book of confessions. The rabbis' writings were collected over hundreds of years and became known as the Midrash. Now, when the Romans destroyed the Jewish state in AD 70, many of these commentaries were scattered. Probably most were lost. But curiously, some of them were preserved, uh, mostly in in Greek libraries and then later in uh, Muslim libraries, and they weren't really rediscovered until the 16th century at the time when Europeans were going through uh, the Reformation and the Enlightenment and this sort of just awakening of knowledge and this hunger to see what the scriptures are saying from other voices. And one of these rediscovered midrashes is the Tanhuma, which uh, some of it was written during the time of the Roman occupation of Palestine. And the rabbis then tried to interpret what Jacob saw. And I'll read a little bit of it. And behold, the angels of God ascending and de descending. These are the princes of the heathen nations which God showed Jacob our father. The prince of Babylon ascended 70 steps and descended. Medea, 52, and descended. Greece, 100 steps and descended. Edom, that is Rome, ascended. And no one knows how many, because Rome was still in power. And what's curious is this writing, Jesus himself could have read this or, or probably knew about it, this interpretation that the fate of the, the Jewish people uh, was hinged on how other nations were rising and falling. Um, and this is what they write about Rome. It says, in that hour, Jacob was afraid and said, peradventure, uh, I don't know, the language is a little archaic because it was translated in the 16th century. Peradventure, this one has no descent, that's Rome, and said, the Holy One, blessed be to he to him. Therefore, fear thou not, O my servant Jacob, neither be dismayed, O Israel. Even if thou seest him, so to speak, ascend and sit by me, thence will I bring him down. So for the Jews in the time of Jesus, the dream of this ladder was interpreted as a prophecy to Jacob about the fortunes of the nation he would become. I mean, and this makes sense. The, the rest of the pericope is filled with the promises of God giving the land to Jacob. And it's also right on the heels of his father blessing him and saying he's going to be a great nation. But the hope is the Jewish people's relative importance would continue and they taught that the Roman Empire would fall before uh, the Israel did. And once you understand how the rabbis in Jesus' day 
interpreted this text, it goes a long way to explaining why Palm Sunday happened the way it did, with the people coming out and hailing Jesus as a conquering king, the Jewish people were looking right back to the very foundation, the formative text right here in Genesis, to get this idea of what their nation was and where it was going to be. And from the get-go, they thought Jesus was going to fulfill that messianic hope. Well, of course, we know the rest of the story. Jesus did fulfill the law and the prophets, but not in ways that the people could understand. And so these rabbis writing these midrashes had no idea that the Romans were going to destroy Jerusalem in AD 70. So in fact, the Roman Empire outlasted the ancient Jewish state. And with the city razed and the temple destroyed, the chosen people entered a time known as the diaspora. So curiously, even though the Jews were nationless, they persisted as a people. Even as Rome declined and fell, as Ed, Edward Gibbon put it, the rabbis continued to read and interpret Torah. And so I want to jump forward in history to the early 18th century, where there was a famous Ukrainian rabbi named Yisrael ben Elizer, considered to be the founder of Hasidic Judaism. They're the ultra-Orthodox sect that wear the beards and the fur hats and the fringes on their cloaks, and they control the diamond districts in Antwerp and New York. Israel ben Elizer is usually referred to as Baal Shem Tov. It's an honorific that means master of the good name. And he preached on this text, and he interpreted it. And when he did, he focused not on the land and the nation, but he focused on the condition of Jacob. Spiritually, he argued, Jacob was at a low point. He'd left the warmth of hearth and home. He had a destination, yes, but... It was a long way away. He was basically traveling in dangerous lands with nothing but his cloak on his back. And it's this time of dire circumstance that Jacob sees a heavenly sign and hears God's voice. Baal Shem Tov reasoned that Jacob is able to make this connection to the divine because he's not distracted by uh, material things. He's only focused on his survival. And as such, he's turned toward God, his only source of hope. And it's in this moment that he prays. And the ladder which was set up on the earth, the top of it reaching heaven, he argued was an allegorical allusion to prayer. Because of his poverty, he was unencumbered by any worldly positions. His vision enabled him to see the top of the ladder, see into heaven. And even though he was lying prostrate on the ground, he was rising on a spiritual plane. David did the same thing. There's later in the people uh, of Israel's history, King David uh, also at a low spiritual point, uh, called out to God in the 102nd Psalm. It, it, it reads, hear my prayer, O Lord, let my cry come to you. Do not hide your face from me in the day of my distress. Incline your ear to me. Answer me speedily in the day when I call. But this is exactly what happened to Jacob. He called out to God and God heard him. And Baal Shem Tav pointed out that people who aren't in trouble, those who instead have abundance, they begin their prayers not by pouring themselves out to God, but generally by asking God for something, a supplication of some sort, more wealth or health. We all have so many pressing needs and desires that we approach God with something like a long laundry list of uh, demands. But he argued, however, the pauper, the truly humble person who feels he or she has nothing, has only one request, and that's that his or her prayers be heard 
that they have the honor of speaking to God, the way he put it, pouring out their words before his maker. He or she realizes that there's no greater privilege than the opportunity to unburden oneself before the king of kings. God, as our heavenly parent, most commonly thought of as father, but of course transcending gender, uh, we are God's children, as Paul reminds us. And so even the lowliest, as the world counts them, of human beings still has the opportunity to speak in a holy fashion to God and can trust that God hears and God answers. And the person who properly prays as a person in dire circumstances is wont to do ascends this spiritual ladder rung after rung until reaching the apex, the top of it reaching to heaven. The rabbi argues that this should be the goal of every faithful person, to be lifted to the top into the presence of the divine. But the dream has another part, doesn't it? The beings on the ladder aren't just going up, they're also going down as well. And Baal Shem Tov pointed out that the purpose of descent is to fulfill the faithful's purpose in creation, that both ascending and descending are essential, only that when one ascends the ladder to heaven does one then perceive the true reality, allowing a sharper and more focused perspective upon re-entry into the earthly plane. And so traditional prayer has these elements of both ascent and descent, and on the most basic level, praying is turning to God to request one's needs, but the aim of prayer, he argued, is to attach the soul to its source, to attach us to God, and to refine and elevate the crass nature of one's baser drives and passions, to forget about the laundry list that we usually pray, and instead turn to ask God how God can use us to God's purpose. And these two goals go hand in hand. Through elevation and attachment, ascent, one may refine one's character through a deeper understanding of the purpose of creation. And then turning around and descending is to do what the Jews call a mitzvah. It's to do a good deed, a religious duty. And so he argued this is why we prayed. He argued that we are unique in creation because we're somewhere between the angels but also above the animals. And so, yes, we are made of earthly stuff, but our souls have been breathed into us by God. And so the human sort of falls in this spectrum between heaven and earth in the way that other creatures don't. And so we are called to come up into God's presence, but to then go back out into the world. And at times we humans are spiritually uplifted and we are detached from the commonplace, but there are other times when we are totally immersed in the mundane. And so the question becomes, how do you maintain a healthy balance? And he argued the answer is through community that those who are granted the gift of ascending the ladder are therefore giving the opportunity to descend the ladder, to teach and help those, some of them who maybe haven't even begun their spiritual journey or others who are just in need of some assistance. And the trick in understanding the dream in this way is knowing that the Hebrew word angel doesn't mean the same thing as it does in English. When I say the word angel, I know all of our minds jump straight to Christmas with the white robes and the wings and the halos, or the children in our pageant here. But that's not necessarily the way the word needs to be translated. You can translate it um, as messenger. Um, And it does this in the Greek too. Um, Angelion, which we get the word angel from, uh, means messenger. And so, Baal Shem Tov's explanation of the dream is that those persons who have ascended on high and have aligned themselves to God will then become divine messengers to those still laboring on earth. Um, 
you know, we do this in English. Um, someone takes a casserole to a person who's ill, and we say, she's such an angel. And this isn't exactly an Orthodox Presbyterian position. We really don't have one understanding of what this dream means. But this is not outside of our understanding, is it? Who in the church community doesn't know someone who seems to have a more advanced spiritual maturity? I mean, I've been to seminary and I thought, oh, I'd have all the answers when I got to the end. No, where I learned what the church is, is by being a pastor and ministering alongside faithful servants, some of whom who have a much deeper spiritual life than I do, and I learn from them. You learn how to serve God from these people who've been doing this longer than I've even been alive. And this understanding of who can ascend the rungs of the spiritual ladder also helps us understand the, di- the words of a different man who is also called rabbi. I hope you recognize these words. Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who are hungry now, for you will be filled. Blessed are you who weep now, for you will laugh. Blessed are you when people hate you and when they exclude you, revile you, and defame you on account of the Son of Man. See, persons in this state are not considered blessed by the world. They are thought a curse. But according to the allegory that Jacob witnessed, these persons are quickly able to ascend the spiritual rungs to be in the presence of God. And so once aligned with God, they can then descend and come to minister to those who are having problems ascending. The rich, the well-fed, the laughing, those well-regarded by society. And they can teach more godly ways. For adversity leads to prayer. Prayer leads to God. And God leads us to worship and serve by helping our brothers and sisters along the way. Friends, no matter where you are in your spiritual journey, know that we are making it together, a community of faith, helping sometimes and being helped at other times, trusting that each of us will eventually reach the top of God's ladder due to the life, death, and resurrection of our Lord Jesus. Amen.